the 23rd, we have a men's breakfast coming up. So if you are of the male persuasion and you want to come and eat bacon and probably some cinnamon rolls or something like that, uh, 23rd, 8.15 in the morning. I know it sounds early, but you're a dude. You can make it. Get out of bed. You'll be okay. Um, now, at this uh, breakfast, what we're going to talk about is uh, the, the new building. Uh, I'm going to meet with our, with our contractor this week, and we're going to talk about some things as we get t- closer to it that we can have, we have, have you guys start to do that we can save money by using you as labor. Yeah, I know, right? Pretty cool. Now, it's not saying the ladies can't help. This is just something I wanted to do as we came up to this men's breakfast so you guys could be a little excited about it, be thinking about certain things. Uh, and even if you don't know how to do anything, if you can, like, pull a shovel behind you, you can help. Okay, because then it'll be, oh, stop right there and dig a hole. Yeah, you, everybody can help. I don't care what your skill level is. Well, maybe I do, you know. It's like, <laughs> what is a shovel? It's like, oh, my goodness. That'll just be tough. Anyway, if you are uh, new or newer to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you will get some notes and also some questions to take you a little bit deeper into what we're talking about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on event or more and then events in Uversion, and you will get the sermon notes and the questions and the verses and some announcements and all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me? Read into God's Word. We will get started. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 4. And it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you teach us what it means to preach the word, that it's not always with our voices, but it's also with the things that we do and how our voices and the things that we do come together hand in hand. I ask that we as a people would understand your goodness and your good news uh, deep in the core of who we are, and we would just naturally live out mission because we understand that you came to seek and save us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are continuing our series throughout the book of Acts. It'll take us into the fall. In the fall, we're going to do this series called What in the World? Thought about calling it What's Up With That? If anybody ever watches SNL and we do, what's up with that? What's up with that? And half of you wouldn't know what I was talking about, so we're just going to call it What in the World? And it's a series where I look through some things in the scriptures, and I read them, and I'm still like, what in the world? What, what is God doing? And so we're going to talk about those things. And then during that series, we're going to give you three by five cards, and you're going to get to write down your what in the world questions. And then the next summer, we're going to uh, answer your what in the world questions. So we're going to do like a what in the world summer. Okay. Even on the 4th of July weekend when nobody's here. Right. That's that, we'll do something like that. Uh, I think it'll be all good stuff. So we are currently taking two-thirds of this year to go through the first half of the book of Acts. And I keep saying that we are attempting to do this uh, for many different reasons. My top three are, number one, to see the beginnings of the church in Jesus' called mission. Secondly, that a lot of you are people in transition, and you won't spend the rest of your life in Santa Maria or necessarily at Element. So we want you to have a good idea of what to look for in a church wherever you go. I've actually got, gotten some uh, communications from a few people in the last a couple of weeks that they've been looking for a church and they've been listening to the podcast and listening to some of these things. Apparently, we're not that church because <laughs> they don't come here. They just listen. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Uh, and number, and number, because I say things like you have no friends. Uh, and the third thing is understand that when we live on mission with him for Jesus, we don't always understand everything he's doing, but we can always trust him. Now, 
I have listened and read to a lot of people going through Acts 6, 7, and 8. Nobody breaks it up the way that we do. I think the closest was a guy named N.T. Wright. But there's a reason why we're doing it the way we're doing it. Uh, Trust me, we're going where we need to go. Uh, One person who spoke about this passage we're looking at today, which is Acts 8, verses 4 through 8. You can open your Bibles there if you want. Acts 8, 4 through 8. They said the central theme is persecuted, scattered, and sent. Now, I'm not telling you who wrote that because I don't want to disparage anybody, but they're a big dummy because they missed the entire point of this. Uh, The point is, is that the church already was sent. The church already was sent. And because they didn't go, God sent persecution, which made them scatter. And you see the persecution in the last four weeks of what we looked at. And after they scatter, again, they finally get to the place they're supposed to start, which is sent. And this sending starts all the way back in, back in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. In Jerusalem, God says, Jesus says, I will send my spirit to you, and my spirit comes. It will be for the purpose of making you my witnesses. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit comes to make sure everything goes your way. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit comes to make sure you get the perfect job. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit comes so you can lose 20 pounds and look really good in a Speedo, because nobody looks good in a Speedo, and if you do, you are a freak of nature. He didn't say the Holy Spirit comes so you can get that perfect parking spot out in front of Costco. No, he says, I will send you my spirit so that you can be my witnesses. And Jesus says this in Acts 1-4, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That means the story of who Jesus is and redemption and reconciliation and hope. It doesn't stay within the walls of a church. It doesn't stay within the walls of a city. It is always meant to go out and expand further and farther than we can imagine. And I think Jesus starts pretty easy on them in the book of Acts because he says, you know, just start where you live. Start exactly where you are. And from there, you'll expand out past your city. And from there to your nation, from there to the rest of the world. And when Jesus says in all Judea and Samaria, he connects it by this word in. In Judea and Samaria, as if they're one place. And I talked to you about this like months ago. That's huge because those two areas are arch enemies of each other. So what I'm going to do is give you a geography slash history lesson I've given to you before. Some of you are newer and you haven't heard it. Others of you don't remember again what I said just last week. So it's going to be good for all of us. We can all be on the same page. Uh, The Holy Land, where the disciples are now, is a strip of land that runs 120 miles on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, uh, In Jesus' day, that 120-mile stretch was divided into three different regions. You would have Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. On the north and south, you have this, you know, Judea and Galilee, and they are Jews. In the middle, you have Samaria, where you have this weird hybrid that is known as the Samaritans in that day. Now, it is uncommon in that day for Jews to have any relationship, let alone a friendship with a Samaritan. Their hatred is religious, and their hatred is ethnic. Again, so unlike today. Originally, the area that came to be Samaria was considered holy by the Jews, because Jacob and Isaac, both patriarchs, they had built altars there to the Lord. Jacob built a well there, raised his family there. He deeded it to his son named Joseph, the guy with the technicolor dream coat. That guy right there, Joseph is sold into slavery but rose to prominence and power in Egypt. Eventually, all of his family comes to Egypt to join him there. And Joseph, when he is old, about to die, gathers his family around him. And he says, God is going to get us out of Egypt one day. 
And when he does, I want you to take my bones with you to the land God has promised us. And I want you to bury me back in that place in this area known as Samaria. Actually, in this town called Sychar. And this all happens. Moses, Red Sea, all of these things. Uh, Sychar is like a fork in the road in Samaria. And right next to Sychar is this place called Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim. The book of Deuteronomy will tell you that at Mount Gerizim, God's people used to gather and worship him there. You can read this all in the first five books of the Bible, but you fast forward some years, everything seems to be going well. Okay, you have Israel has their country, they're, they're a people, they've got this whole nation, and then they start to have these internal struggles. Some of them start to worship foreign gods. Israel has almost like a civil war, and they split. You have a northern and a southern kingdom. And so what God does in 720 B.C. is he sends these people known as the Assyrians. He sends them in to discipline and grow his people up. The Assyrians hate the Jews. They invade the northern kingdom and the area called Samaria. The Assyrians conquer the area, and as normally happens when somebody conquers, they deport the people who live there, kill some of the others, and the ones that they leave there that they don't kill or deport, they begin to live off of those people. Now, they do this in an effort to destroy their national identity. You see this still in Bosnia and Sudan and Darfur and Iraq and Afghanistan. Even in the United States today, in order to change our strong heritage, people try to destroy the national identity that makes us cynical about our constitution or our governmental systems and things like that. What the Assyrians did is they deported some, they left some back so they could live off them, all again in an effort to destroy their national identity. Uh, Eventually, 590 to 580 B.C., another war uh, takes place, and Babylon comes in, and they conquer the entire area. All of Israel is hauled off. Two-thirds of them off to Babylon, one-third stay behind. Now, the few people that remain behind, they have to answer a question for themselves. Do we stay faithful to God? Do we stay faithful to our nation? Or do we syncretize? Do we mix with this other nation? In 2 Kings chapter 17, it tells you that immediately the people of Samaria mixed themselves in the worship of the one true God with lots of other gods so far as to involve child sacrifice. So imagine if you are somebody who got hauled off into exile, and in exile you realize how you have run from God, that God has loved you and been good to you, and you realize all the things that you did to him, and so you sinned against him, and you begin at that point to repent, and you serve, and you follow him, and you love him, and you see the people that got to stay behind in their own homes, and what are they doing? They're running as far from God as they can. They're running from their national heritage. And how angry would it make you be that you were deported and you repented and you remained true and these people that got to stay back didn't? I always like to liken it to us being attacked by the Canadians and we lost. I know we think, oh, that could never happen. State of our military today, I'm not so sure. But two-thirds of us get hauled off to the land of pine trees and sap. You know, and the, and the rest of us get to stay back here. I mean, God forbid something that awful happens, I know. And, and then the Canadians start sending down all their pantheism and witchcraft and Oprah and Dr. Phil. Oh, wait, that's already happened. You know, let's think of this. Uh, imagine ISIS attacks America, and they actually win. And you are now under Sharia law. And if you're married, your wife has to wear a burqa six times a day when the loudspeakers play. You know, you've got to bow down. Uh, you've got to trade your car in if you have one for a 1988 Nissan Sentra. I have been to the Middle East. That's what they drive. I'll take a taxi. Nissan Sentra. I want to buy a car. Nissan Sentra. All really old. Okay, so 
So th- th- that's what you get. If you even get a car at all. And, you know, and then in our country, like all the outrage about equality, well, there is no more outrage because if you have any outrage, you're either in jail or you're dead. So that's you know, how it works. You would have to decide, do we merge ourselves with that culture to make our lives easier so we don't die? You know, with almost no lag time at all, those left in that section of Israel in Samaria did that. And you got this hybrid religion. They, they lost the Psalms and the wisdom literature, but they kept the Torah and they claimed to be Jews. Now, over time, those who were in Babylon were set free and they got to go back to the nation of Israel. And they are angry because their neighbors syncretize. They mix with these other people so far as to offer their kids up in child sacrifice, something God said you never, ever do. It is just not right. And eventually, over time, in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah talk about this, the Jews begin to rebuild their wall and their temple in this place called Jerusalem where the church starts so they can worship God there. When this happens, the Samaritans now show up and they say, oh, you're rebuilding the temple? We'll help. And the Jews look at them and they say, you are inbred heretic freaks. You are not allowed to touch the temple. Now, do you think that causes a little hostility between the two people? Right. It's like today. You call somebody a redneck. If they're not Jeff Foxworthy, they're going to get mad. Right? You, you just, things, things you don't really do. This is way worse than like calling somebody a redneck. Now, a renegade Jew at, at this time goes and marries a Samaritan woman. And he said, you don't need that temple there in Jerusalem. We will make our own temple at Mount Gerizim. And so he makes a hybrid religion with a different competing temple. And this goes on for about 300 years. And there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the background of this. I don't have time to tell you about it. Uh, but about 120 B.C., after 300 years, the Jews get so mad that they march into Samaria. They march up through Sychar, up to Mount Gerizim, and destroy the Samaritan's temple. By the time Jesus shows up, it's 120 years later, and these people just hate each other. It is racial, it is cultural. Imagine like a Ku Klux Klan community on both sides of like an African nation, something like that. And if you were a good Jew, and you were going to go from Galilee to Judea, you would go around Samaria. You would not go through it. It would double the time of your trip, not just because you hated them, but they hated you. And if they caught you, they might just jump you and beat you up. It's like you, why you don't drive in Compton at night. Or during the day. Or, you know. But it is this whole idea. What happens is racism had blinded both sides to the truth. That all these people were still made in the image and likeness of God. It had blinded them. So you got it? Yes? I got to do that all again. Okay, we got it. Yes, I do? No, okay, got it, got it, okay. This is ethnic division. It is, it is deep, it is profound. And Jesus says to those people that can't stand each other and the people that you can't stand, that's where you go. And he lumps these two areas together, Judea and Samaria together. It means you're going to go to Clinton and Sanders, both. You're going to go to Clinton and Trump, both. You're going to go to like Clinton and the NRA or Clinton and the FBI or Clinton and everybody, right? It seems everybody's just got an issue with Clinton. So, Or you're going to go to Britain and the EU. If you're a Foo Fighters fan, you go to Dave Grohl and Courtney Love. Yeah, right. And we would say, no, we don't go there. We only go to the one that we like or the one that kind of agrees with us, the place that we are comfortable with. And Jesus says, no, I am sending you the power of God. The word for power is where we get our word dynamite from. I am going to give you the power of God so that you can go and bring this message. It is why I'm giving you the power. It is why I'm doing this, to bring about reconciliation in the world. Not to huddle up with people who are just like you or make everybody look just like you. 
It's so that you would go out and scatter and be the message in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will find yourself in places you never even thought you would be because of this message. And in Acts 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. His presence explodes into believers, but they refuse to go. When you get to Acts chapter 8, you know where they still are? In Jerusalem. That's where they still are because it's very comfortable there. So what does he do? He sends and allows persecution. It's God pushing them to grow. So it's kind of cool. The first place that they go when the persecution scatters them, Acts 8, starting in verse 4, says, Now those who were scattered and went... Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. What they were supposed to do in the first place, and went about means they actually went out and were doing it. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of what? Samaria. Samaria. Do you guys see what's happening? This is awesome for Philip, not for us. No, it's awesome. And proclaim to them the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all you've been waiting for and we've been waiting for. He is the one. Verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. The first place the book of Acts takes you after persecution begins in earnest is to their bitterest enemies, to the Samaritans. When was the last time something happened in your life that you didn't understand and your first reaction was to take the gospel to the people you hated the most? When was that? I mean, imagine somebody firebombs element or even the tragedy that happens in Orlando. You know, in this church, the whole idea would be let's hop on a plane and fly to ISIS and tell them about Jesus. We're like, I don't really want to do that. That's what they did. There's a reason why Acts progresses the way that it does. So let's talk about this. So you have sent. They had been sent. So have you. We have all been sent. But people just like then are just like us. They really didn't want to go. So God sends persecution to make them go. Here's a question for you. Who have you been sent to? that you refuse to go or say anything because it might be uncomfortable. But God has put them right in the middle of your life and said, I want you to speak about the goodness of who I am in that situation. Where, who have you been sent to, but you don't want to go? Secondly, persecuted. Okay, sent, they want to go, so persecution comes. Here's another question. Where is God making your life uncomfortable so you would go? Where's the Holy Spirit just speaking and prodding and pushing in your life and saying, be a witness for me? You're like, I don't. Be a witness for me. Go. I mean, you've got Stephen who was martyred for his faith. You know what the word martyr means? Witness. That's what it means. Imagine if we translated it that way. Jesus says, you will all be martyrs for my name. Does that change the connotation at all? It's like, oh my goodness, I could die. Yes, you could die. You will live for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it will be amazing. I mean, if you look at church history, the persecution of the church does not stop in the book of Acts. Philip, the guy listed in these verses, eventually he is whipped and imprisoned and crucified. I would say the Romans seem to like to crucify Christians as a mockery to Jesus, but the Romans just like to crucify anybody. So it's not really as a mockery to Jesus. Uh, Matthew, he was killed with a long-handled axe, sword thing. It's a five to six long handle, and he went the axe with a bayonet on the end. So if you're whacking, didn't kill him. If you got tired, you can just run him through. That's how Matthew dies. James, the author of the book of James, Jesus' brother, at 94 years old, 94, he is beaten and stoned and his brains are crushed out of his head. 
Matthias, the guy who replaces Judas as the twelfth disciple, is stoned and beheaded. Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, is torn apart by a mob. Jude is crucified. Bartholomew is beaten, crucified, and then beheaded. Because crucifixion apparently wasn't enough. I've got to behead him. Thomas is run through with a spear. Luke, the writer of the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he is hanged. Now, later in Rome, it started to seem like things were getting a little bit better because at that point, you could then be any religion you wanted as long as you worship Caesar as Lord. You would do this by once a year going into the temple and you would burn incense to Caesar because he was the embodiment of Rome, the glory of Rome. Going against him was going against Rome and committing treason. The problem is Christians wouldn't worship Caesar. Now, the only people in the empire that got exemption to this were the Jews. And the reason Christians got exemption for a little bit is they thought, you know, Christianity came out of Judaism. So it's like, oh, they're just Jews. But Jewish leaders started to say, they aren't Jews. And so Rome started to take a deeper look at Christians. And they realized they've got all these people who aren't worshiping different guild gods or whatever, and they're certainly not worshiping Caesar, and that's an offense. That's a declaration of war. Even how Christians love those around them was a declaration of war. And Rome was like, who are these petty small people with their civic structures poking Rome in the eyeball? And so persecution breaks out again, and it happens time and again and again and again. I even think it almost seems like it could be ready to happen in our country again. Because seriously, how dare there be any Christian who has a view of the world that does not conform to what our society says is acceptable? How dare they? I think, I think it's coming at some point. I mean, maybe has it a little bit. I think it's coming really in earnest. You know, but what do you do in the midst of it? A lot of Christians are like, well, I'm going to get my guns and go up live in the mountains and put a fence around my property and put a, you know, I'm going to spray paint my middle finger and tell everybody just to go away. And that's, that's what we think we do. But that's not what you do. What does the scripture tell you to do? Go. You're sent. You go out, even in the midst of that. God is still calling us, no matter our circumstances, to be about the business of the gospel of Jesus. Do you know that today, two-thirds of the world Christians live outside of a Western cultural perspective? Uh, Paul Marshall says this, says the average Christian, if one can use that term, is now a Nigerian woman. If you took the average of everybody, it would be a Nigerian woman. Ron Selig writes this, virtually every human rights group and uh, and Western government agency that monitors the plight of Christians worldwide arrives at more or less the same conclusion. Between 200 million and 230 million of them face daily threats of murder, beating, imprisonment, and torture, and further, 350 to 400 million encounter discrimination in the areas such as jobs and housing. A conservative estimate of the number of Christians killed for their faith each year is somewhere around 150,000. The World Evangelical Alliance has noted that Christians are the largest single group in the world which is being denied human rights on the basis of their faith. And you do not read that in American papers today. That is not something that most people even know. Uh, A Pew Forum spokesperson, and the Pew Forum is not a Christian organization. I always remember like, Pew, Pew, Pew. Pew Forum spokesperson said that in the world today, at least 75% of all religious persecution is directed against Christians. And that is not to make us go, oh, we're victims. Oh, what's wrong? It's to make us understand that persecution is not meant to stop us. It's meant to send us. Persecution wants to isolate us and move us away from other people and make us huddle up. Then the enemy can feel like he has won. But this has always been the story of the church. We become too easily complacent. We are too focused on our own comfort. This is why in America we don't think persecution is that bad. Because we have it so easy. But I'll tell you, when the church started to get complacent, God sent persecution and hardship so they would go and wake up. 
Tertullian, who was called the, Latin, the father of Latin Christianity, said this, We multiply whenever we are mown down by you. The blood of Christians is seed. I mean, in America, we would never say that when persecution comes. We'd be like, what's wrong with God? He's not taking care of me. God didn't give me what I needed. God must not exist, or God must not be nice, or God's so mean. What do they say? When we are mown down, our blood, it is seed. It is seed. The church, the people who have the strength of God's spirit in us, we should not be afraid to walk through and talk through persecution. Persecution should make us stronger. We should be able to go to hell and back because we know we are not alone. Because we know that Jesus walks with us no matter where we go. They were sent, they didn't go, so God sent persecution and it made them scatter. So they're scattered. Uh, Luke uses this word, it's diaspora, and it means scattered abroad. It means a wide dispersion. People are driven from their homes throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But where are they scattered to? They're scattered all over. At the end of the second century, Tertullian says this, 197 AD, he writes this, We are but of yesterday, and we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. He says, we are everywhere. We are everywhere. And that is a remarkable thing that God did by scattering them. How did he scatter them? Persecution. Persecution. When you ask historians how the incredible spread of Christianity happens, most historians will say, we don't know. Because there wasn't a rock star preacher and there wasn't some crazy campaign concocted by the church. What there was is normal people that God had scattered to go out to every place in the world who would be Jesus to the people around them. What did the scattered Christians do? They talked about Jesus, and they kept being persecuted. That's what happened to them. Tertullian says, when you kill one of us, we're like the Hydra. Five more pop up. Hail Hydra! (laughs) In the face of death, Christians consistently choose death over denying their Savior and Lord. That's our story. That's our story. I mean, as they're scattered, Luke says they went about preaching the word. The word preaching, it, is, it just means the telling of any good news. It comes to this from this root that means you're the messenger. The root of messenger is actually the word angel. You are some people's angel. That's who you are. It is being witnesses of the great goodness that Jesus has brought into our lives, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of being scattered. It's not formal preaching where I stand up and yell at you for half an hour. This is just the commonness of people's lives. This goes past cultures, and it's just spoken in our language in the places where we live and where we work and where we breathe, where we've been scattered to. Regular people spreading the realness of Jesus in the language of engineers and single moms and stay-at-home moms and tattoo artists and vintners and truck drivers and kids who take orders through a clown head. All of these things. Even country music bands. The good news is brought to the language of all of us exactly where we are. See, when the church is scattered, it brings that good news and it shows that the gospel is lived seven days a week in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, at our schools, in our neighborhoods. And it doesn't matter if you even like the neighborhood where you live because you already are in that neighborhood. You're scattered there. In the scattered church, they are dragged from their homes, driven to other cities, not where they ever wanted to be, but the church became what it was because they kept living for Jesus wherever they were. They focused not on themselves, but on the good news of Jesus, that he has come to save our souls. He has come to store a relationship between us and God again. You do not have to wait till you have it all together. You don't have to wait because you'll never have it all together. 
The time is now. And God has placed a myriad of opportunities in front of all of our lives. We all are coming into contact with people every single day. You are the scattered church. Where you are matters. Who you are matters. Sent when it go. We've got some persecution. Scatters them. And then they finally are sent. So you come right back to where you started. The church was always intended to have a here-to-there movement. The love of God is for everyone. I mean, the early church didn't really get it. I think sometimes we don't even really get it. Matthew 28, 18-20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You get to Acts chapter 2, what does Peter do? He preaches 3,000 people come to follow Jesus from all different walks of life. And it seems like they still don't even get it. Just like we still don't even get it. Do you know what all nations translates to? All nations. Okay, That's what it translates to. It's actually this thing that means all ethnicities. That God has come to store a relationship with his people. That we were lost and we were broken and we were alone. He has come for us. We can never find him on our own, so he extends himself to us to rescue and save us. And that is exciting news, but it's also really scary because we have been entrusted to also take that message out. And if you don't know this, the world is filled with people. Okay, apparently you don't know that. It is filled with people. We have been sent out you know, to, to be a blessing by bringing and being by how we live that message. It's not about you and your works. It's about Jesus and him, and him making all things new. And the question becomes, is that the message that you send? Is the message you send morality? Is it about huddling up and making everybody? Or is the message you send about Jesus and what he has done? Do you see and understand yourself as being scattered to be where you are? Do you see the grace of Jesus as the greatest gift you've ever imagined? Because we are scattered to our enemies. We are scattered to our friends. We are scattered to our frenemies. We're scattered to all of these things. It's a beautiful and humbling concept. And the question for us becomes, are we going to be people who live in that? Will we live with the understanding that we have been scattered? I mean, so often, and it's not bad to do this, but so often we call church this. Hey, we're going to get together and go to church. But we are the church. The church is much more important about what we do outside the walls than what we do within these walls. Because that is where your love and worship Jesus is seen on display, scattered out there. We gather corporately to worship together, but we scatter outside these walls to worship everywhere outside these walls. Our God has called us to scatter. And, and you may think, but I just don't know enough, or I'm not good enough. I will tell you, this is one of the reasons about communion. Like, you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Communion is the idea that you may think you don't know enough or you haven't, gonna, haven't got it all together. You have everything you need because Jesus paid for your sin to reconcile you to God. You have everything you need because you, by following Jesus, have a relationship with the God of this universe. You have everything you need. And what do you do? You, know, you, you live in a way that lifts him up. And if people ask, tell your story. Well, they won't believe me. Who cares? We are scattered to be a blessing, to speak the blessings of the goodness of who God is wherever we go. We speak that because he has sent us to scatter and proclaim his good news. You let him take care of the rest. You speak about what you know, the goodness of the God that has rescued you and saved you. 
This is a beautiful thing that God has entrusted us with. Uh, the band's going to come up. As they do, you are welcome to take communion, like I said, uh, understanding you know, Jesus' death and resurrection for us. There'll be some deacons in the back, and if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you're just now beginning to understand the idea of being scattered and it scares you half to death. Uh, they would love to pray with you about that. Maybe you have somebody in your life that you know that you need to talk to right now, and you're scared about it. You'd like someone just kind of pray with you about that. They'd love to pray with you about that. There's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back, and we give because God has been so good to us. So we give back. Uh, last service, there's a bunch of donuts in the back, and I'm sure there's something back there. You can eat it, get a little sugar rush in case you don't have enough energy to go. Now you do. Donuts. <laughs> it's power food. Get something to eat, meet some other people, and talk about how to go and be this blessing to the world around us. I mean, where, I mean, think really honestly, where has God scattered you to in your life? Who has he placed in front of you? Where is the opportunity directly in front of you right now to be a blessing and be and bring the message? And then how are we helping one another to learn how to go out, to learn how to reach out into places around us so we are the scattered church, that we're not always trying to just huddle up together, but we understand the whole idea of mission and being sent being sent. And when tough things come in your life, I think, in my life, I think one of the questions we've got to ask is, God, how can you use me in the midst of this to scatter your message and your message? You know, to scatter out and go and be and bring who you are to all these people. Because our God has sent us to be his messengers. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And like I said, it's scary. I get it. It's scary. But we get to uh, preach and speak about what we know. And again, preaching isn't standing on your desk in the middle of your office in your little prairie dog city going, thus says the Lord. You know, preaching is the commonness of our lives, of simply being a messenger of good news. So we speak and preach the good news of Jesus Christ and all that we do. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us how to trust you and see you as you really are. The only God who has created heaven and earth, and that we as your people have run astray so quickly and so fast. And yet, you sent your son to redeem us and bring us back home. I ask that we would understand the freedom and great grace of the message that you have entrusted to us because we would understand the great grace and freedom you have given to us and that we would live with the hope of redemption, honoring you in what we say and what we do, that we would begin to have a passion for being scattered, that we would see the world around us as you see it, And that when hard things come our way, we wouldn't give up, but we would double down with our faith in who you are, understanding that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us, but you will allow hard things to push us to grow into the people you call us to be. So teach us to grow. Teach us to honor and love you. Teach us to understand the sentness of who we are. 
and to love you with all that we are by scattering. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.